you, if as a preacher who's been saved for over 20 years, who reads commentaries, who listens to this book constantly, I listened to it three times yesterday. I've listened to it probably 10 times total in the whole week. And so if I'm putting that much time into it and I'm not bored, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. I am literally doing this as a job and as a hobby, as an extracurricular thing, and I'm not bored. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to leave verse 1. We're going to probably preach five messages just on verse 1. This is the second message on verse 1, and I believe I'm going to preach three more before we even go to verse 2. And then in verse 2, I think I have at least three right there. So we will probably preach eight messages in two verses of the Bible. And we, we haven't even got to three, four, five, to chapter two, nothing. I mean, just in first two verses. Now, today we are going to learn about Paul the Apostle. Everybody say, Paul the Apostle. Thank you. As always, notes are online and the app. So let's learn about Paul the Apostle from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Where are five messages right there? Paul the Apostle talking today. Last week, the will of God, God's holy people in Ephesus. Number three, the faithful. Number four, and in Christ Jesus, number five. There's your five messages of the first verse. Come on. There, there they are right there for you. So get ready for next week to learn about being God's holy people, the saints of God literally in the Greek, and then come the following week to learn about being faithful to God, and then that next week being in Christ where we get the sermon series from, in him. Everybody say in him. For those who don't remember, over 20 times in the book of Ephesians, the phrase in Christ or in him is mentioned. And so that's where we came up with the sermon series. So do your homework. Read the book of Ephesians. Follow along with us week after week and watch what God will do in your life. Today we're talking about Paul, born as Saul, was a tremendous leader and majority author of the New Testament. Did you know that? He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. How many books total in the Bible? 66. Paul was handpicked by Jesus in a post-resurrection appearance to be an apostle. Let us read that story right now. Go to with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 shows us how Paul the apostle was picked by Jesus. Some of you may think that Paul was an original disciple following Jesus for three years, but that's not how Paul became a disciple. Paul became a disciple after Jesus ascended to heaven, and as a Jew, he was persecuting Christians. He wanted to snuff out the new Christian religion, and he was approving of the martyrdom, literally the stoning of Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. Everybody go, ooh, mooey maul. He was a very bad dude. He was literally threatening and murdering the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, which they called them at that time, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Paul wanted to kill and imprison Christians. Did you know that about him? 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him. You ever heard the saying, I saw the light? That comes from the Bible. He saw the light from heaven, fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Notice how Jesus identifies with the Christians himself. The Bible says what you've done unto the least of these you've done unto me. That is not talking about visiting old T, Big Tyrone in the jail, or Flacco, or Crazy Mark. It's not talking about prison ministry just for any old people or just feeding the hungry or just any old people. That's okay. We do general charity. But Matthew chapter 25 says, when you go to prison, you do it for me. When you go feed the hungry, you do it for me. He is talking about when you do charity specifically there for the Christians. It is identified as doing it unto Jesus. When you help the little ones on Wednesday, we do King's Kids here, picking up 15 from the west side and adopting the block here as well. When we have about 60 kids as we did last week and you're giving to the church, you are giving literally to Jesus because Jesus identifies with those little ones. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. This is unique about Paul because all the other disciples knew Jesus throughout his ministry. Here Paul is on the wrong side. He's actually crazy and killing Christians. This man is out of his mind. And yet Jesus takes a moment to have an encounter with him. We call this a post a resurrection appearance, post-resurrection. That means Jesus is already in heaven. He does some other appearances with John on the Isle of Patmos and gives him the revelation where we get the book of Revelation. And he does some other visions with his disciples. But here, this is special because Paul is a persecutor. Paul is not, uh, and he's named Saul at this time. He's not on the right side, but Jesus cares about him. Now, why is this important to realize this? Is because one of the 12 had hung themselves and betrayed Jesus. Who was that disciple? Judas. So now they were down one, weren't they? And that, yes, there was about 120 committed disciples that were men and women, but there needed to be 12. Why 12? Because in the ancient Hebrew culture, they had 12 tribes. 12 is the number of God's governmental structure. And so when one had went away and betrayed, they needed to replace that one. Now the disciples on their own, they threw a little dice, drew some straws, and came up with Matthias. Believe it or not, that's what they did. Read Acts chapter 1. But God didn't bless that. God didn't put his hands on that. So it shows you that even in the church we can make mistakes. But God picked his own 12th disciple, his own 12th apostle. And that's what's happening right here. That's special because it tells me that, number one, you can't be too far gone for God not to want to reach out and touch you. No matter where you are in life today, God can reach out and touch you just like he did for Saul and change you into Paul the apostle. And at the same time, it puts the fear of God in me because if you want to be a Judas, hang yourself, skip church, put other things before God, he'll replace you before you can even say snickerdoodles. You'll be replaced by somebody better than you, stronger than you, more radical than you, ready to serve God and do what you never wanted to do. And the train will just keep on choo-choo going. So whether you're on the train or off the train, it keeps going. I hope that puts the fear of God in you today. I know it does for me because he didn't need Judas to build his church. He said, I'll get double for my trouble. I'll pick out Saul and change him into Paul. 
the story goes on and talks about blindness coming over him for a few days. And then a disciple named Ananias gets a vision from the Lord to go visit him. And he goes down and lay hands on him. And he gets healed and gets filled with the Holy Ghost. And this says here, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking in some food, his strength regained. And then it says he began to go and hang out with the other disciples. And you can read all about his journey and how his name was changed to Paul. But that is what we want to think about today when we think about this wonderful apostle. And did you know that he was primarily responsible for two major things in the church after he was converted, chosen to be an apostle, for the grace message of salvation and Gentile missions. Go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 2. Are you guys ready to work your word today? Come on, somebody say, work it. I got so many scriptures to go through. I mean, just think about the task that I had before me today to present to you one of the greatest heroes of the Christian faith who wrote 13 books of the New Testament and who the book of Acts pretty much is all about. I have to summarize his life to you and apply it so that God can bless you through it. And I believe I can by his grace. But what a a daunting task. So keep up with me today as I keep going. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 2, it's his first letter, the first epistle that he writes. Epistle is just a word that means letter, and an epistle comes from an apostle, okay? An epistle is a letter that comes from an apostle. Look what Paul says here in Galatians 2, 2, when he summarizes what he's all about. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Right there, you see the two-fold contribution of Paul to the Christian church, the grace message and Gentile missions. I think we better give the Lord a hand clap for Paul doing that. Amen. There ain't nothing like the grace message, my friends, and nobody could preach it better than Paul. Paul understood what it was like to be in a works-based religion. The Judaism that he was a part of of his day had turned away from the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They thought they could earn now their salvation through all of their fasting, through all of the good works that they would do of charity, and it became a heavy burden upon them that brought condemnation to make them feel, I'm never good enough. I don't think I'm... I can get into heaven. I have to try harder, do more, to be more, to do more, to be more. And they were in an endless cycle of dead works religion. And so when Paul saw the light, he got set free and realized the grace of God. He did nothing to deserve that encounter with Jesus, but it was by grace that Jesus shone that light in his heart. And he began to search all of those Jewish scriptures, and he saw it there as clear as day. The grace message was given to Adam. The grace message was given to Abraham and Noah. It was always by grace through faith. And so when you read a wonderful, what we would just say, the epic chapter 2 of Ephesians, the, the, the best message of grace you could probably find from Paul's writings. He says that it's by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest no one should boast. It is the free gift of God. 
And he could pull it together in such an amazing way. And then he also brought forth Gentile missions. Now, if you remember, Peter was the one given the vision from heaven to know that he should not call unclean what God has called clean. And that goes back to their dietary laws. If you remember, the Jewish people didn't eat things like lechon, pork. They didn't eat crawfish, mm, which I know is coming in season right now for the Louisiana folks. They didn't eat certain kinds of fowl, birds, etc. But here was the deal. Peter still wasn't and getting it, that that was all just a shadow of them being taught the difference between clean and unclean, and that really God was now saying you could eat all things, because Jesus said, it's not what goes into a person's stomach that makes them bad, it's what comes out of their heart that makes them sinful. Are you listening? So he teaches him, but there was a bigger picture of the dietary law. It wasn't just really about food. It was about showing the Jewish people that they were different than the Gentile nations. Through their diet, they were to learn they were different. But Peter still didn't get it, so God literally had to show him a vision and say, you can eat this kind of food, and these kind of people from all over the world can get saved. Now, you think Peter would have understood that, but he didn't. He really kept hanging out with the Jews, not treating right the Gentiles, and it took Peter, uh, took rather Paul, the outsider, to come and face-to-face with Peter in the book of uh, Galatians. It says, rebuke him face-to-face, and, and Paul told him, Peter, you should know better than this. The gospel is not just for the Jews. We're not going around making the world Jews first before we make them Christians. We're saying that Jew and Gentile alike are to be born again and become one new humanity. That's the beauty of Paul and what he brought forth in Gentile missions. And unless you have a Jewish heritage today, Gentile missions is the reason why you are here. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. From all the European nations, all the Asian nations, all the African nations, all the Central and South American nations, all the islands are called to join together in one new humanity. That is what Paul contributed to the Christian church, grace and the Gentile mission. If you don't know what an apostle is, it's one of the five-fold ministries that you're going to learn later about in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13. Here's a great way to think about it. An apostle is a sent-out minister, a minister serving God and people called to start and establish churches, okay? So I would have the same gift as Paul. I am called to be an apostle. I wasn't born here. I was sent here. Can I get an amen? I came from the cornfields of Indiana, from the southern swamp of Louisiana back up to y'all Chicagoans. I am a sent out apostle called to establish churches. Now here's the deal. Because you call me pastor, that's okay. As you will learn in Ephesians 4, there are five types of gifts that we will do as leaders in the church. Some of us will start churches. Some of us will be prophets. Other of us will be evangelists. Some of us will be teachers and others pastors. Over the centuries in time, we've made pastor that dominant gift and title for everybody. But that's not how it was in Bible days. The dominant title for the leaders of the church were elders and deacons. Everybody say elders and deacons. Thank you. Paul taught us that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Elders and deacons. Now, elders and deacons operate in those five gifts. So I am first and primary an elder. And then what gifts do I operate in? Well, I pastor. I shepherd a congregation. I've been sent to start a church, an apostle. And I teach. And sometimes I lead out the evangelism. Does everybody get that? But that's just not for me, Bible college trained elders, an elder like me. No, for all of our elders here, from the governing elders like Ish here, they can be gifted in those same five ministries. 
Uh, God could send out Ishmael to start a church. God uses him to pastor people through the life group. And so according to the Bible, it's not the title that makes the difference. If you notice, Paul didn't put the title before his name, Apostle Paul. It's Paul, comma, the apostle. And all of us could be known that way. This can be Ish, the pastor of the music ministry, or rather now the King's Kids ministry. And so you honor us by calling us pastors, and we accept it because it looks like we're on a different level because we're clergy, but according to the Bible, it's elders and deacons that make up the leadership, and all elders and deacons equally can share in the five-fold ministry. And so later, you'll learn more about that, so be around for Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, my guess, Ephes- I mean, Ephesians 4, you come for that lesson, my guess that'll be sometime around November-ish. November-ish will be in the five-fold ministry of Ephesians 4, but make sure you're there. So, we, so he was sent out to establish churches in three major things, sound doctrine, Christ-like living, and spiritual practices. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Get a taste of the ancient church. Many times everybody likes to go back through these, uh, you know, discovery channels and learn about their culture, the ancient Mayans, the ancient Romans, the ancient Aztecs, the ancient so forth, the Vikings. We have a lot of these shows out now about the barbarians, the Vikings. Let's look at the ancient culture of Christians. You are a part of an ancient culture now. You can look back and see what the people of your culture were doing 2,000 years ago. This is what they were doing in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and onward. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. How many like to listen to the word and hang out and have fun? That's what that is, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of bread there refers to communion. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Look at your neighbor and say, can I borrow those those shoes next week or that your shirt next week or something? Ladies with shoes, guys' shirt, I guess, or... Uh, They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They did that until they were kicked out, and then they had to meet in homes. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's not talking about communion there. Now, this is a party that they're having in their, in their homes, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved. And how many are thankful for a growing church today? Amen. That's what Paul the Apostle was doing. That's what he was establishing. He was establishing sound doctrine, Christ-like living, and spiritual practices. But yet he suffered greatly. There was probably nobody that suffered more than Paul the Apostle. I'm going to get to this passage of 2 Corinthians 11 in just a little bit as we learn some life lessons for him. But Paul the Apostle knew he was more than a conqueror, knew he was seated in heavenly places. In this book of Ephesians, he's already in jail writing it, but yet he's talking about how he's seated in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing. Because Paul understood to keep his eye on the prize. He knew that he was just a stranger passing through a strange land, but really his citizenship was heaven and the kingdom to come. Do you ever feel like that in this earth? That things just don't quite work out? That there are things that just don't feel right? Sometimes you feel like a round peg trying to go into a square hole. And you know that this is not your home, that you were made for something greater. There's a God-sized hole on the inside of you, and you tried to fill it with everything, but it doesn't work. But God fills it, he does, doesn't he? But oftentimes the world rejects us now, don't they? they? They don't like us and they treat us harshly. And that's why I always wear this bracelet to be in solidarity with the Christians that suffer around the world. And I love everybody just look up at me here. And I don't want to get too political, but I'll just step on a few toesy-woesies. 
I don't want to retweet a hashtag that Ashton Kusher is saying. I could care less about that man going to hell. I don't want to retweet a hashtag of Meryl Street. I want to retweet the hashtag of suffering Christians around the world. Beware, Christians, when you find yourself on the same social justice causes of the gay community, the God-hating community, the lesbian community, the Muslim community. Be very careful when you find yourself on their side of the aisle. They're at that moment, you might just want to pump the brakes a little bit and go, if Ashton Kushner and I are seeing this the same way, there's probably a problem. There's probably an issue right here that I'm not getting because Ashton Kushner doesn't give a rip about the 100,000 Christians dying a year around the world. He doesn't care. Listen to me. He doesn't care that they right now are being butchered in nations across this world. They don't want to talk about the 3,500 children dying in abortion clinics every single day, upwards of millions a year. Are you listening to me? Don't fall for their propaganda. Hashtag end abortion now. Hashtag save Christian lives. Hashtag to God be the glory in the nations. Hashtag I love Jesus. He suffered greatly in ministry, yet he was extremely fruitful by the grace of God. We will all be inspired by Paul's life to walk worthy of our calling. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And you may say, Pastor, well, there's, there's causes in America that I need to be concerned about. That's right, but the Bible says don't be partnered up with darkness. What does light have in common with darkness? Whatever you want to fight for justice and fairness, do it with the Lord's people. Do it with the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Do it with Lloyd Garrison. Do it with the Christian Church of Jesus Christ. And if you're a pastor, everybody look up at me, please. I want to get a little more sassy with you here. If your pastor who knows this Bible more than most of you, definitely more than anybody in entertainment, is warning you about things and you got saved here and you got discipled here, you better take that warning seriously. Because there's nothing more that this world would love to do is get you over in their worldview by a couple things you think you can do better than what the church is talking about. Oh, you know, the church has mistreated gays and lesbians. I just feel so bad for, you know, we should just do this and, you know, transgender. And all of a sudden, they will convince you the church is on the wrong side here. No, the church ain't on the wrong side, my friends. Church has been on the right side. And that's not a white, black, pink issue. You get anybody in the Word of God, they're going to come to the same conclusions that your pastor came to. Amen? Now, we may disagree about some things. I don't want to say that every Christian is going to get along. You know, I, I may have a differing opinion about the educational system. I believe in vouchers and, and, and parents who pay taxes being able to choose where their students go instead of being forced to go to the ones that maybe don't work in their neighborhood. Let them go to the private Christian school with that voucher. Hey, they paid the taxes, uh, and if they homeschool. Let them get a kickback. Hello, somebody, because we're paying the same tax as everybody else is. Kick that back right to Professor Wyrostic, Professor Lopez. But here's the deal. You may believe in teachers' union. That's great. We can agree to disagree, but we won't agree to disagree on killing unborn children. We won't agree to disagree on the persecution of Christians around the world or injustice or racism. We won't disagree on that. Amen? We got your back when it comes to that. Now look at this Ephesians chapter 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
I mean, you literally just, I mean, I wish there would be movies put out like this. And I know there's a few about the Apostle Paul, but they still haven't captured the way I see him. And I know that you need to make movies about David that put the 300 to shame because David had mighty warriors with him that every masculine man can feel they're serving God and, and get some good movies about Esther and Hannah and so forth. But listen to me right here. You can almost just imagine Paul and in, in a dungeon or in house arrest or wherever he is at this time, writing this letter, and he's literally saying to the people he's writing, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. Now you guys get living for Jesus. Don't you be ashamed to live for Jesus. I'm willing to be locked up for this thing. So walk worthy of your calling. How many are ready to follow Paul's example? Amen. I want to follow Paul's example. Here's a timeline of Paul's life. It comes from a study Bible. Nothing too unique about it. You can find them anywhere online. This one uh, happens to be just about Paul and shows you all of the details of his life with the letters and the major events in his life. And if you can't see it, because I know there's a lot uh, put up there, just look on your notes or go to the Facebook page. You'll see it there, and then you can uh, study it some more. So basically, you have Paul being born around A.D. 5. Jesus was born around 3 B.C. So there's only maybe about an eight-year age difference between him and Jesus, just to get you that in your mind. Uh, probably even more similar to like Ishmael and Joe. Here, us two brothers, Jesus and Paul, were probably about that age, maybe five, six years. We don't know exactly when he was born. He could have been born as early as uh, 6 B.C., so he might have been a few years older than Jesus. But they average it around uh, A.D. 5, around the same age of Jesus. But him and Jesus take totally two different paths. Jesus is serving his father, being a carpenter. Paul goes to religious school. Paul becomes a doctor in his religion. He achieves the highest level of success. He studies under the, the teacher, Gamaliel. And here's the thing. Let's just pause right here. Another example of the historicity of the Bible. This is not a made-up character. This is not Ganesh from the Hindu religion. This is not just somebody out there that you're supposed to make believe in. This is a real man of history. There is no doubt in any real historical sense if Jesus existed. From Wright College to Harvard to anywhere around this world, Jesus existed. If you ever meet a Jesus mythicist, what you have just met is someone that has a special kind of stupid, a special kind of stupid that doesn't even pay attention to the scholarship. A Jesus mythicist is somebody on the internet who lives in their basement who thinks they understand world history. People who get paid to do world history in the greatest of colleges, whether they're Christian, atheist, it doesn't matter what religion they're in, what university they are in. They know Jesus was a real person. The same thing is with Paul. Paul is not a myth. Paul was an actual, factual, real person. And let me also say this, because Paul was attacked in his day by other religious people, mainly the Jews and the pagans. Those two groups of people hated him. The Jewish people hated him because they thought that he was dumbing down, watering down the Jewish faith, taking away all of these important works of circumcision and fasting and holy days and letting everybody just come on in, all these pagans. They didn't like him watering down their religion. And then pagans hated him because when people became Christians, they stopped buying their idols. They they stopped celebrating their Mardi Gras and their pagan festivals and stopped buying all the things they used to. And Ephesians, Ephesus, as you will learn later on, was actually a port city made famous because of an idol they had there for the goddess Diana called one of the seven wonders of the world because of the temple was so beautiful. When they got saved, the Bible says they threw away over a million dollars in our money, a million dollars worth of witchcraft. And who got mad at them? All the people 
people who had their businesses being made from that. Imagine, seventh wonder of the world, imagine you work in Orlando at the Disney World place. I just went there. What is there, about 10,000 people employed there? And imagine if you get, everybody gets saved. And I'm not saying, you know, uh, Disney is paganism, but follow me here. And nobody goes to Disney World anymore. That's the, kind of, that, that's the kind of result it had on that temple, okay? But listen to me. Paul is hated in the Bible. And I always used to read that, and I would be like, man, poor Paul. He's getting hated by everybody. But guess what? People still hate Paul. Muslims' number one enemy, and I don't mean like they're going to like, you know, spit on it, whatever, but the number one problem Muslims have is not with Jesus. It's with Paul the Apostle. They believe Paul the Apostle changed the teachings of Jesus. They believe he corrupted the Bible. The number one problem 1.5 billion people have with Christians is the teachings of Paul. Anytime you start talking about Paul and his teachings, they will tell you he's the one that changed it. He's the one that influenced John's gospel to say Jesus is God. It all came from Paul. You talk to atheists about the historical Jesus. They'll say Jesus was a good man, lived, died, nothing miraculous about him. That was all myth. But it was this guy named Paul who built all of these stories around him. See, Paul is attacked once again by pagans and false religions. And even still to this day, modern day Jews have the biggest problem with Paul because they say he misinterprets all of those Old Testament passages. You're learning today about a real revolutionary. While Che Guevara is probably burning in hell right now, while Fidel Castro is probably burning in hell right now, while Lenin is probably in hell right now, hello, while Hitler is in hell right now, Paul has got the reward of his suffering because he was a revolutionary for Jesus, a real renegade. He was a real renegade. And I can't wait to preach about what Paul did. Everybody here today needs to be more like Paul. From me to you, from the pew to the pulpit, from our house to the White House, everybody needs to be like Paul. So when you start attacking Paul, you're attacking the revelation of Jesus Christ, the very Jesus who showed up and and encountered him on that road to Damascus. And here's what thwarts everybody's attack against him, is why did a Jewish man who was killing Christians become the greatest voice of Christians? got to explain that in history because everything we know about the actual historical person he was exactly who he said he was he was born in the tribe of benjamin he was a leader in the jewish religion under gamaliel gamaliel is not a made-up name that's a real dude he said i studied under him there is testimony of who this man was and what he was doing the persecution how they were dying all true what changed him and then what brought him to the very feet of Nero, where they bent him over and beheaded him. It was because he knew Jesus. It didn't matter what you did to Paul. He could never change his testimony. He lived and died for what he saw that day on that road to Damascus and what he experienced. May we learn from Paul. He got saved. His name was changed to uh, Paul because the Bible loves to change people's name. Uh, Jacob meant schemer. His name was changed to Israel, prince of God. You learn the same thing with Peter. His, his original name was Cephas or just Little Rock, but his name was changed to Peter, Big Rock. Throughout the Bible, they love giving each other nicknames. His name was changed from Saul to Paul. Not much of a significance there, but something Jesus wanted to do to give him the identity change of what had happened in his heart. What's unique about him is he spends three years 
in the desert of Arabia before he really starts his ministry. And there in the desert of Arabia, he tells us that God would speak to him through those scriptures. And that's why he had the revelation that he had. The encounter started on the road of Damascus, but he delved deep into the scriptures for three years. He went to the school of the Holy Spirit. Then he started his first missionary journey, bringing relief to the Jerusalem churches. He then went and did a second missionary journey where he started the church of Ephesus and many others. And that's during the second missionary journey that all of these letters are starting to be wrote. Your New Testament is not in chronological order. Uh, So Galatians and Ephesians are around the first letter that he writes along with Thessalonians. And towards the end, it's second and uh, first and second Timothy. Okay, so you can see kind of the chronological order there. But in our Bible, it starts with Acts, Romans, etc. And Romans was one of his uh, last letters written as well. And then he goes on his third missionary journey, spends three years in the city of Ephesus. So that was the longest place he had been in his missionary journey was Ephesus. That's why it's such an important book. And then he gets arrested. And then he's on house arrest. And then he got let out just for a little bit to go visit a few places, but was arrested again. And then he was beheaded under Nero's reign right around 67 AD. So he died in his 60s or early 70s. Everybody say, God bless him. Amen. Didn't he do an amazing job? Now, here are seven inspiring things about Paul. Do you want to be inspired today? Come on, let's learn from Paul the Apostle. Uh, First, we got to learn that Paul the Apostle was bold enough to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.1. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How many want to follow his example? How many then want to look to the world around you and say, follow my example as I follow Christ? So often we think we're being humble when we tell people, don't follow me, I'll let you down, I'll make mistakes, just follow Jesus. That's not how the Bible talks. The Bible says you should walk worthy of your calling and call people to follow you as you follow Christ. That means they should see in each and every one of you an example to follow. I don't say to my, par- my kids as a parent, you know what, I'll let you down. Don't follow me. Just, just do whatever you want, but follow God. No, I say follow my example in this house. I will show you how to be a good husband. I will, my wife will show you how to be a good wife. I will show you how to be a hard worker. Now, that's what we're supposed to say to this world. Now, you say, Pastor, what if we make mistakes? Well, there's a built-in thing with we make mistakes. It's called repentance. You, you, you follow Christ, as Paul did, and you repent for the mistakes that you made. You tell somebody, that wasn't what Christ would do in that situation. I'm sorry, but keep on following my example. It gets quiet when I preach like that. You may say, follow Paul's example, follow Joe's example, but don't follow my example. Well, maybe that's true because you're on your way to hell. But if you're on your way to heaven, you should be able to say, follow my example. And that should be okay with you because you're not, you're not trying to hide anything. My life's an open book. If you ever find a sin in my life that I don't know about, I'll be quick to repent because I don't want sin in my life. So follow me as I follow Christ. Amen? But let us look to Paul, who I am following as well. Paul, to me, is one of my favorite uh, leaders in the Bible for so many obvious reasons. And I just had to really pray and say, God, what today does MPI Church need? Because, I, I mean, literally, I had 20 at first, 20 inspiring things of Paul. And then I said, ah, that'll, that'll take me too long. So I, I, then I said, well, let me do five. And I go, well, five's not enough. So I went to seven. And, and I, I don't know, I may go to 10 now just on the spot because there's so many, but I want you to open up your heart and learn from this man as he learned from Christ. Amen? Let's think about this for the very first thing. Paul always remembered the mercy of God. 
That's something that you can be inspired by. Is that no matter how much Paul ever knew about God, all the experiences he had with him, and they were amazing, no matter how many miracles he did, God used him to do tremendous miracles, raising of the dead. I mean, it was amazing that, that the Bible says even the cloth that he would have on him, the, the rags that he would keep with him, people would want to take and place upon sick people because they would get healed. That's actually where that charlatan example of a televangelist has come from. You know, buy this cloth for $5.99 plus shipping in handling and you'll be healed. But there was truth behind that because uh, things were transferred from his body to people and they were literally healed. That's what the Bible says in the book of Acts. But he never forgot the mercy of God. Listen to what Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy, who was also the pastor of Ephesus. See, a lot of things connect at Ephesus, don't they? Here's a trustworthy saying. He's like, hey, you want to know something that's true? You can bet on this, and it deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He knew who he was without Jesus. If you ever took Jesus away from Paul, he knew he was the worst of sinners. He always carried that knowledge with him in Christ. I am righteous, I am holy, but without Christ, I am the worst of sinners. Now, we may say, well, Paul, you kind of are the worst of sinners. I mean, you were having Christians killed. Don't get too much worse than that. But I wonder today if you've encountered so much of God's grace that you've understood that you're the worst of sinners without him. You know, sometimes we think that God only saves the bad sinners. And you know what? Many times those who are prideful sinners remain in their sin because they don't see pride as a sin. They don't see their self-righteousness as a sin. They don't see their selfish ambition as a sin. You know, you've talked to people like this, especially like our evangelism team went out yesterday, had almost 25 people. Let's give it up for Chicago for Jesus on Saturdays. Amen. Over 20-plus people out there. And I'm sure they ran into people just like this. You know, I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm on the right side of the, you know, of the, of the arguments. I understand not to kill, not to murder. I'm a good person. But they don't understand all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us by our good works can earn righteousness. Think of it like this. Imagine if someone was on trial for murder. Let's say they're 60 years old, got really upset with their wife one day and killed her in her sleep. Okay, God have mercy. Let's say this happened. Now this husband is standing before the trial. And let's say this husband was in the military, fought for our freedoms. Let's say this husband was a father of three beautiful children, raised them every day. Let's say this father came back from the military and worked as a post office person, literally every day dropping off mail, was a good Samaritan. Let's say at the trial they brought in 10 of the, the man's neighbors, and he said, they, they said, every uh, thing I know about him is good. He was so nice to everybody. He taught his kids well. He retired. He, he kept care of his yard. And then let's say that... Uh, this man then talks about they were married. Let's say they were married for 30 years. And he says, I love my wife every day for 30 years. I wrote her love notes every single day. I bought her gifts on her anniversary. We did all of these things together. But it was just five seconds of anger. I took a mallet to her head. So please overlook the five, five seconds of murder and keep in perspective the 60 years of good deeds. Do those 60 years of good deeds do away with those five seconds of murder? How many good deeds do you think you can do to make up for that one sin you did to God? That one lie you told. How many sins did they commit to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? 20? 100? Okay, one. Oh, it must have been a bad one. Did they molest children? 
Did they murder? No, they just disobeyed, did something they weren't supposed to. No matter all your good works in the world can never make up for one sin, let alone the weight of sin you have against you. Paul understood that, and he said, this is something you better know. It's trustworthy. It deserved full acceptance. Jesus came in the world to save sinners, sinners like you, sinners like me, sinners like your grandma, sinners like your grandpa, sinners like the pope, sinners like everybody came to save them. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. How many look back at the example of Paul and go, if he could love Paul, he can love me. That's what Paul was meant to be, a trophy of God's grace. May we always remember the mercy of God. May we be merciful as God has been merciful to us. That's what the Bible says. And we shall inherit the world, the Bible says. Blessed are the merciful, for they will inherit the earth. And so let us never forget the mercy God gave us. We extend it to others. Now, did Paul think he was a sinner? Did he use this as an excuse? Well, I'm the worst of sinner, and God's patient with me. No, he knew he was a saint, a holy one, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But without Christ, he knew who he was and who he wasn't. He knew he was in Christ, and he knew who he wasn't without Christ. And so imagine you being able to step into a country and becoming a citizen. Let's just say citizenship was about where you step. So if I went to the Canadian border and, and I step over here, I'm a Canadian. I step over here, I'm an American. Let's just say it worked that way. What Paul is saying is if I step outside of Christ, I'm the worst of sinners. I step inside of Christ, I'm the righteousness of God, perfect in God, blameless and holy lacking no good thing. So where do you think Paul wanted to remain all the days of his life? In the mercy of God, in Christ. That's why he wrote in the book of Ephesians over 20 plus times, I am in him. You are in him. You are in Christ. Come on, somebody. Are you in him today? Paul always remembered the mercy of God. Another inspiring thing about Paul's life is that he never forgot the encounter he had with Jesus. I heard an amazing uh, uh, service happen with the youth with over 50 teenagers Friday. Let's give it up for Elevate. Amen. Blowing it up. And I heard that Pastor Steve brought an amazing word on the love of God to our teenagers. And that's what Paul always remembered was the love of God. He never forgot that encounter. As a matter of fact, he told it everywhere he went. He told it in the church. He told it to kings. He told it to governors. He told it to people that hated him. He told it to people that didn't like him. This guy reminds me of Bubba Gump talking about his shrimp. He talked about it everywhere he went. The question I want to ask you is, do you talk about your encounter with God everywhere you go? I can take you back to November 5th, 1995, to my mother's kitchen table where Jesus became real to me. I'm sure that Steve could take you to cell block C <laughs> where he got saved in that jail cell. Ishmael told his testimony before service. I'm sure he could take you to that church, that spot at the altar where he felt the presence of God. Do you remember where you were, Nancy, at that youth convention where they were worshiping or hearing the word of God and you felt his presence. Do you remember where you were when you encountered Jesus? When it went more, as my dad said, as a Catholic, where Jesus went from more from being a historical figure up there on a cross somewhere in a cathedral to being Jesus, his best friend, living in here. When did that happen for you? 
It happened for Paul on that road to Damascus, and he talked about it all the time. He said, about noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road, and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing all around me and my companions. We fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads or to kick against that which can't move. And he told his story. You know why? Because he was never ashamed of it. And here at the end, he goes, So then, King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and to all the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Can you say that you have done that with your coworkers? God, I haven't been disobedient to the relationship I have with you. I've talked to Sally Sue. I've talked to Susie Q. I've talked to Mike, Big Mike, Little Eddie. I've talked to Flacco. I've talked to all of them. I've told them that they should repent, turn to God, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That's what Paul did. Paul knew that the encounter with Jesus had radically changed his life. It was something that he just couldn't keep in. You know how it is when you go back to work tomorrow. The ladies, those who like to shop, are going to tell you about the good deals over the weekend, right? They're going to tell you where they went to shop, and ladies, don't pretend you don't like to shop. Now, if it's just my wife and a few ladies, I'll take that, but I know there's more of you here than just my wife and a few ladies. My wife loves to shop, and I'm sure she's already told some of the ladies about how she's redecorated the house and the deals that she got at the places that are usually really expensive, but now they're on sale. And guys, you know, you're going to talk about the game and what happened, and you're going to talk about this sport player and this thing. Isn't that kind of how it goes? I know it's stereotypical, but we're all going to talk about something tomorrow that we care about. How about we talk about our encounter with God here today? How about we talk about why God is so important to us? I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about encounters with God that change your life, your marriage, your family, your goals, everything, and what you do. Amen. Number three, Paul was humble and willing to learn and work with other apostles. He wasn't like going around going, hey, guys, I saw the light. I'm in charge of stuff. I'm the boss man. No, he was humble. He went back to those other apostles, and he said, I want to check up to make sure I'm doing the right thing here. I want you guys to send me out. And Barnabas was actually sent out with him to preach the gospel. Look there in uh, Galatians chapter 2, 1 and onward. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along with me. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. This is Peter, James, and John, so forth. Uh, presented to them the gospel that I had preached. By the way, James was killed, rather. This is like the other apostle, Nathaniel, etc. That I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure. Somebody say he wanted to be sure. Thank you that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. I wonder today if there's anybody humble like Paul that goes to esteemed leaders to make sure they're not running their life in vain. When was the last time a husband did that here, went to other esteemed husbands and said, hey, I just want to run by you how I'm running my family right now, share with you some of the things that's going on with my wife and I and kids. I just want to make sure I'm not running my house in vain. 
I wonder how many wives have done the same thing, mothers. I wonder how many single people have gone to those that are single in the Lord now or those who are married and said, hey, as a single adult, I just want to run by some things that I'm doing here on Facebook and some of my profile pictures that I, I take like this every now and then. And I just want to, I just want to make sure, I want to run them by you. I want to run them by you and just make sure I'm doing this right. I wonder how many single ladies are doing that today, just, just making sure. I just want to run something by you. I wonder how many businessmen are finding esteemed leaders in the church to say, hey, I just want to make sure I'm treating my employees right. I want to make sure I'm giving right. I want to make sure that I'm not running in vain. I know I'm saved by grace. I know I've met the Lord. No doubt about that. I don't need a man to tell me that God is real. I don't need a man to tell me that I need to be saved. I've already done that. I know God is real. I've seen the light. But I, I just want to be around some esteemed leaders. I'm humble enough to admit I'm not the only one here. On the planet, I don't have all the answers. I just want to be around some esteemed leaders and run some things by them. Paul was humble. The next thing that we learn about Paul is that he was empowering the downcast people around him. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you that the Bible subjected women to harsh treatment. That is not true. Even in the Old Testament, it empowered women, and especially with Jesus and the New Testament. And nobody exemplified this more than Paul, and not only with women, but the slaves of his day. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about the Roman culture before I go into slaves. It was not based on color. Color slavery did not start based on your color, especially with the Africans, until the Muslims. Muslims started a black, literally based on your color, slave trade, because they believe the devil himself was black. That is another discussion about how black Islamic slave trade then taught it, Europeans to do that. Now, both of them were wrong, and slave traders go to hell according to the Bible, but let me just explain this to you. The Bible has always liberated women, and the Bible has always liberated slaves, and most of the slaves were white, working-class, European-looking slaves, but they were set free in the Roman Empire under Christian rule and reign. And that is the truth. And in America, when we became more Christian, we set the women free and we set the slaves free. Not less Christian, more Christian. Read about women's suffrage. Read about the leaders of Booker T. Washington. Read about, read about Douglas, those that are studying black history right now. Learn your history as African Americans, especially about how God used the church and the Bible as their basis to preach freedom for women and for slaves. Can I get an amen? But I want you just to notice this with Paul. Look at how much he empowers women. Where in that culture, they probably couldn't speak much in court. They wouldn't have much value to work outside of the home. They would be considered to stay at home. Look at how many women Paul congratulates and says, I appreciate their work in the ministry. That's why in this church we empower women and men to be elders and deacons. Why? Because Paul did the exact same thing. Romans 16, 1, he's going to run down all of his peeps right now. He's going to talk to you about his squad, in other words. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. Right there, boom, there's a woman deacon. She's named first. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. 
And some people have taken it as far to look at this word benefactor in the Greek, and it literally means Patreon, that she was Paul's mentor, like a spiritual mother. And if that's not what that word means, you'll see in another place, he calls a woman his mother. It's amazing how quick Paul was to say, follow this woman, give her whatever she, she needs. She has been very beneficial to me and other people. He then lists the woman's name before the man's name, which was not common in their day. And a marriage couple, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Notice how he honors the woman and puts the female's names first. That's not an accident. That is a grammatical sign of respect. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Not just the man, but to them. Plural. And it also says in the book of Acts that they brought in Apollos and taught him further the things of God. A woman teaching a man further the things of God. You read it first in your Bible, people. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Notice everything is plural. Then he begins to name off these different gentlemen. But then he goes on in verse 6. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. This isn't just Mary hanging out, just doing whatever she does. She's working. These are the same exact terminology, ministering, working, benefacting. These are the same words used of men. There is no differentiation between the word he uses for a woman of a man of what they do. So if, a man, uh, if some chauvinist supposed Christian comes to me and says, this is not saying the women were doing what the pastors of today would do so forth, then I would say, prove it to me in the text, because everything a pastor does is used by these words, worked hard, served you, ministered, did, opened up their home. Everything is applied to the women exactly as the men. If the women aren't doing it, then nobody was doing it. But if it is happening, you know the women were making it happen, Captain. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. Maybe he didn't like Junia as much as he liked Priscilla, because she comes after him. But that's okay, because she's still honored. My fellow Jews who had been in prison with me, they, look at this plurality here, they, both, husband and wife, are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Do you know that the dirty, filthy Roman Catholic Church tried to change this woman into a man? That's what they tried to do, because they don't believe in women in ministry. They tried to change this woman to a man in the Greek manuscripts, and we had to show them over and over and over again, this is a woman, because they first wanted to say it was two men, and then the second thing is they wanted to say that outstanding among the apostles meant that they were just hand clapped by apostles but not apostles themselves so if there was a woman involved she couldn't be an apostle it had to just be the apostles thought they were great they tried to fight this on both ways but the translation remains Andrew Nikus and Junia husband and wife were outstanding apostles with the other apostles true 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 and they were in Christ before I was. And he names off all these great men. Sorry, guys, I'm not naming those names. I want some brownie points with the ladies today. I want to win some points, okay? Uh, greet, verse number 12, Tryphena and Trophius. These women who work hard in the Lord. Another two wonderful women. Greet my dear friend Persis. Anybody ever hear of Percy? Percy's kind of a name that used to be around a female name. That's where it comes from, Persis. Another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Does anybody see empowerment of women in the Bible? Do you see it? It's right there. I could show you cultural reasons why in the book of Ephesus, uh, rather in the book uh, in Timothy, why he says the women of Ephesus need to be quiet at times. You know why? Who do you think ran the temple for the goddess Diana? 
women. And what did they do there? They were prostitutes for their religion. And some of them would come in and disrupt the church. So Paul made a special thing, a rule, say, hey, I don't want these women coming in disrupting the meeting. And he set that up. And some people say, well, that meant for all times and all places. Well, then why in the world does he name off 10 women who are working and preaching and teaching and who are apostles? Are you listening? Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, watch, who has been a mother to me. Make sure you talk to his mama, because his mama been good to me. Greet Phygelius, Julia, Neris, and his sister. Make sure you tell Neris' sister that I'm thinking about her. You see, he said, all the churches of Christ send their greetings. That meant he empowered women. Somebody say he empowered and set free the slaves. This was long before Abraham Lincoln. There's an entire, this is the thing that blows my mind. I know that I got to get a little bit more political here. How in the world is somebody like Malcolm X, somebody like these Islamic, black Islamic leaders going to tell Christians about slavery when they were the very ones who enslaved Africa for a thousand years before Europe ever came there and are still enslaving them today and who Muhammad said the devil looked like a black man. Are you listening? How are they now going to say the Bible is the white man's religion of slavery when we have an entire book in our Bible about our apostles setting free a slave. The whole book is about it. It's called the book of Philemon. Philemon has the slave. In Roman culture, if you were in debt, you'd become a slave. If you committed crimes against somebody, you'd become their slave. Okay, slavery came through war and all of these different things. And Jesus, uh, Paul said, you treat them because, you know, they're in a work relationship. They're paying off whatever they're doing. He said, you treat them as you want to be treated. So you can never beat them. You can never mistreat them. And he said, because you have a master in heaven that will judge you by the same way you treat them. There is no way to mistreat them. Do you understand that? And then he said, slave traders go to hell. But now watch this. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do to let free this guy. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on one on the basis of love. It is none other than me, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Okay, Onesimus became my son while I was in chains. While he was in jail, he met Onesimus. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. So Onesimus worked for this man because of something he had done or in a position of life he was in. He ran away. He still owed this man money, and he got saved in jail. So he must have got arrested for doing something he wasn't supposed to do. Now he says, I am sending him, who is my very heart. Look at how he talks about this man. He's my very heart. Back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would do, you would do on your own consent and voluntary. Verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from, a li- from you for a little while was that he might be back with you forever. Watch this. The most empowering words you would ever want to hear. No longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. For he was dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a what? A fellow man. Wasn't that the call of the abolitionists, am I not a man? And they would show the African-American beat with his his back laid open, and then it would say underneath it, am I not a man? And that's not not what we're saying to the unborn children. Are we not persons, right? We're, We're bringing back the humanity and stopping these genocidal things against humanity. He says, receive him, not as a slave, but as a dear brother, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now watch, he takes it to the highest level he possibly can go. So if you consider him a partner, welcome. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. He set free the slaves. 
He empowered women. That's what Christianity does. How many want to look up to Paul for that? Paul was faithful in suffering. I need to read this quickly in closing. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk this way. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Why didn't you make it to church last week again? Huh? Uh, you were pelted with stones on the way here? Is that what it was? There's empty chairs today because you were shipwrecked? Come on. I've been constantly on the moon. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled, have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. A college student goes, amen. I've gone through that too, Paul. Now, I have been cold and naked. Hope they don't do that. Amen. Uh, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn inwardly? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that God has shown in my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever. You say you lost a praise over getting fired? You say you lost a praise because somebody didn't like you, didn't treat you nice, somebody at the church didn't smile at you? You lost your praise for God? He said, God still is deserving of praise because he deserves to be praised forever. He knows that I'm not lying. I want to encourage you to stay faithful to God in your suffering. You know, another thing we can look up to Paul in closing as Rachel comes is to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit for your power. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, this is what the mighty apostle Paul said, the one who went through all those things, the one who endured those things. He didn't, he didn't say it came from himself. He said, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the spirit gives life. Life. Paul said, I don't do this on my own. I do it through God who gives me strength. He's the one that said you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Well, Paul, it's just hard for me to live for Jesus. Come on, Paul. Oh, you just don't understand. I live with people who don't love Jesus. And every now and then they're mean to me. And I don't want to go to church when they're mean to me because it makes it hard. want to go. Paul, you don't understand. I go to high school and nobody lives for Jesus there, Paul. If I want to read my Bible, I got to sit by myself. Come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. You're doing it wrong. That's why you suck at Christianity because you're doing it wrong. Christianity doesn't suck. You're doing it wrong. Paul went through more than you or I could ever imagine. And he found his power in Jesus Christ. He said, my competence is not from myself. It is from the Spirit that gives life. If you have ever seen a person live for God, it is not because they're better than you. It's because they know how to get the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians are Christians because Christ is in them. That's how Christianity works. You move yourself out of being in Christ, you won't do this. 
The letter kills. Religion kills. Your self-help religion will never save you. I'll do better next time. will never save you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Deny yourself. Get rid of your stinking thinking. Get rid of your excuses. Jesus didn't come to bless your mess, but he came to make you too blessed to be stressed. He came to change your life, not to renovate your old one. He came to give you a brand new one. I hate that word suck, but that only applied at that moment I had to say it. I'm so tired of people mickey-mousing with Jesus, acting like it's God's fault, acting like it's the Bible's fault, or acting like Christians here who are faithful to love God, give faithfully to the church, be disciples that make disciples, you know, like as if we're some type of Superman. Paul was not a Superman. He felt being beat. He felt when they threw stones at him. He wept when they rejected him. He knew that pain, but he knew his identity in Christ. And Paul, lastly, where we can find inspiration, was faithful to finish his race. People left him all the time. People let him down. Churches turned on him. Entire churches said, we don't even want you here anymore. We got another apostle. And this one says a whole bunch of cool stuff you never talk about. We want this one. They abandoned him at times. One point in the, in the book of Timothy, he says, I'm going to court. I'm here being sentenced to death. And there's nobody even showing up to give a testimony of who I am. He said, they all forsook me. And he starts naming off people. He says, Demas, he forsook me because he loves the world. He starts naming their names. Come on, Paul. Thank God I don't name names on Facebook. Amen. Y'all wouldn't like it like that. Treat others how you want to be treated. Some of you name my name. How would you like me to tell your business? What you said to me in the counseling room, tell people how crazy you really are. Amen. Don't you start no stuff, won't be no stuff. Amen. Aren't you happy your pastor saved? I'm not here to make a mess out of stuff. But every now and then, Paul had to name people. Why? Because they were causing trouble, the troublemakers. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. I'm just being poured out. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Could be here all day talking about you fighting a good fight, finishing the race, and keeping the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. You can just see him giving the crown of righteousness to Paul. But I love Paul. And Paul never only just thought about himself, but look at what he says here. And not only me, not only to me do I got to look forward to this, but also to all those who long for his appearing. Are you going to be faithful, saints? Are you going to finish your race? Or are you going to let somebody cut in on you, trip you up, and have you just fall on your face and make excuses the whole time? Get up. Fight the good fight. You get knocked down, you get up. You get tired in the race, you ask for help. You feel like letting go, you ask God to give you strength to hold on to faith. He will not let you down because he doesn't know how to fail. He only knows how to keep his word. He's not a man that he should lie. What he said he will do, he will do. Amen. Now everybody look at your, your neighbor and say, here's the message. <laughs> Let me give you the threefold motivation of Paul. I'm just kidding. This is in conclusion. The threefold motivation of Paul. And in a lot of places, Paul summarizes what he thinks about what he was doing. 
This is probably my favorite place in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. He tells you the reason why he goes through everything he does, what keeps him going, what's his motivation. It's to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and to share in his sufferings. Philippians 3, he says, although, myself I have con- I, although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else had to mind, had a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. So he's like, you want to boast? I'll boast too. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He says, like, I was so bowed it, I was willing to kill people for this, which by the law, way was lawful for him. He was not breaking the law doing that. Christians were, quote, unquote, breaking the law. As to the righteousness which is found in the law, blameless. I kept it all day long to the break of break of dawn. I memorized it, he said. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He knew there was a kingdom to come. Not that I've already obtained it or already become perfect. What he's saying is that my body is still with me. It's not perfect yet. I haven't been resurrected from the dead yet. But I press on that I may lay hold of for that which I have was, or that which also laid hold of me by Christ Jesus. I want to lay hold of what laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are perfect in Christ have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. That's a motivating message to us, isn't it? To keep our eyes on Jesus, to press forward towards the call of God, even in our suffering, to know that one day it will all work out for his glory. In the book of Ephesians, he says it like this, and now this is the close. In Ephesians 3, 7 through 8, says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. How did he get that grace? By the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Can we close our eyes right now and ask Jesus to make this real to us before we stand up and leave this place? Would you just close your eyes right now and say, Lord, help me to follow you as Paul did. Make this real to my heart right now, Jesus. Help me to see you, your sufferings, and the power of your resurrection as my motivation. Let me trust in your power, not in my own strength, to make it through this life, to finish my race, to never forget the encounters I had with you, to always remember your mercy, O God, to be humble, to empower the lowly, to bring justice to the land, O God. Come on, wherever it sets in your heart right now by the Holy Spirit, say, I receive. 
I believe and I receive right now. Before we stand up, make it personal. I will follow Jesus as Paul followed Jesus. I will learn from that man's example and the words that he gave in holy inspired scripture. All those wonderful promises that God showed us through the Apostle Paul are for us today. All the things that God showed that wonderful man. The scriptures that come to mind that we didn't have time to go through today. I'm more than a conqueror comes from Paul's writings. He who began a good work and you will be faithful to finish it. That comes from Paul's writings. As we said before that you can do all things through Christ. That comes from Paul's writings. Also he said that every need will be met according to his riches and glory. God gave him that promise. Even though sometimes he was naked, he knew that God would meet his needs. Come on, somebody. Make it personal right now. I will live for Jesus like Paul did. I will live for Jesus like Paul did. I will follow Paul the apostle today. I'm not following Ashton Kusher today. I'm not following a politician today. I'm following Paul the apostle today. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand and to worship with me. But as we get ready to do that, I want it to be personal between you and God today. I will serve you, Lord, as Paul the Apostle did. If you did it for him, do it in me, oh God. Do it in my family. We'll be learning to uh, this sermon series about marriage. Paul taught all about marriage, even though he was a single man. So that means God can use him as an example for both, for singleness and solidarity in your relationship with God. If you're single, be single-minded towards God. If you're married, learn the lessons that God gave Paul about husbands loving wives and wives submitting to their husbands and together leading their family and children obeying their parents. We're going to learn about spiritual warfare through Paul the Apostle, about not fighting flesh and blood, but these powers and principalities and tearing them down. But let's just make it a focus right now that Paul is our apostle. Make it personal as if Paul was literally here today going, hey, do you want to follow me as I follow Christ now? Do you want to do these things I wrote about? Do you want to do, you want to do what God showed me to do? Let's do it. Okay, today, I make a choice to preach like Paul. I don't want to preach like Joel Osteen. Let God be his judge, but that's not my example because I don't hardly ever hear anything from the scriptures from that man. Paul the apostle is my example. Even other great preachers may be good, but they're not my primary example. Paul, I want to preach like Paul. I want to preach like Paul. I want to empower women like Paul. I want to be known as a gracious man with my employees like Paul. Come on. I want to bring racial reconciliation like Paul, who said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, barbarian, Scythian, Persian, Mede. All are one in Christ. All are one in Christ. Jesus few more moments. It may be awkward right now only because it's awkward for you. If it's awkward right now, you must not have spent too much time with Jesus this week because it's weird. I don't really know what to say. I don't know what to say. Well, come on, get to know what to say. Talk to Jesus. The same Jesus that shone a bright light brighter than the sun to Paul wants to talk to you. Talk to him. Be inspired by his apostle that he personally chose Bible says when the kingdom comes to earth, there'll be 12 names written upon the stones of New Jerusalem. His name will be there with Peter, James and John, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, 
The 12 apostles will sit upon 12 thrones and judge the earth. They will be our supreme court. Paul will be there. Might as well start following them now. Jesus. We don't worship or pray to saints. We don't believe that. We give them only the honor of a man, not an intercessor, not a, we're not praying to Paul. We're praying to Jesus to be like Paul. Know the difference. A few more moments. What spoke to your heart today? What spoke to your heart today? Let it speak to you deeper and deeper right now before we go. I want this service to be the setting for our series. Jesus, do it, God. One of the things, I'll just be honest with you, that speaks to my heart is that Paul never mentions numbers. He never said, you know, I had 120 at, at the Ephesus church that week, 200 at the Philippian church. But you know what I'm always thinking about as a pastor is numbers. How many disciples do we have? How many were here this Sunday? Oh, it's a little low. Why are they not here? I'm inspired to not count numbers, but to count the blessings that God gives me. Come on, just a few more moments. What are you getting right now? That's literally what I got right now. I'm not making it up. I didn't get it 10 minutes ago. I just got it right now. What are you getting right now? Jesus, there's so much to learn. Got to run things by some leaders, right? That's what Paul did. Some of you need to run things by leaders. I'm going to call the elders and deacons forward now. You say, Pastor, why do you always end church with elders and deacons? Because that's how they did it. Here are our leaders of this church. Here are the people like Paul the Apostle. These are the ones you can run things by right now. You can ask them to pray for your marriage, your, your finances, uh, sickness in your body. These are the ones Paul would establish. When we read the book of Ephesians, when Paul was there for three years, what he was doing was raising up elders and deacons. Our church has 44 elders and deacons. I've spent over 10 years doing that. I don't know how many Paul had, but that's what we've spent our life working on. And it's not a click. Anyone can be one if they're a disciple that wants to make disciples. We're going to get ready to sing a simple song. I've never been closer to heaven than I am right now. As we stand to do it in just a moment, remain seated now, though, please. But as you stand, I want you to believe it, that as Paul the Apostle was a prisoner of the Lord and could literally say, I'm seated in heavenly places, that no matter what you're facing today, you can say, I'm closer to heaven than I've ever been. I won't let my past determine my present. I'm going to step out of my past and into my future. I won't come with a negative attitude. I'm going to believe the things of Christ. I'm going to have the mind of Christ, not the mind of worry. On the count of three, those of you who want to start singing that with me, I've never been closer to heaven and mean it like how Paul meant it. I want you to stand up with me on the count of three. One, if you're ready to be a world changer, history maker, and a roof breaker. Two, get ready to stand up now. One, two, three. Stand up with me right now. Hands raised, hearts lifted up, mouths open. Would you sing it before we go? And I Jesus, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you today. We're running for you. We're holding on to faith today. Just a few more times before we go. Don't be in a hurry, saints. Don't be in a hurry. I've never been. Then I
as we get ready to dismiss, we're going to ask the Lord to do what only he can do, to use us for his glory. Jesus, use us for your glory to live like Paul the apostle did for you. Whenever we give up or feel like giving up or discouraged, may we look to his example and the power you gave him so that we know what you did for him, you'll do for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can you give it up for Jesus? Come on. For Jesus. Amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, be like Paul the apostle. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, we'll see you at life groups. But we're going to worship for those of you who are wanting to worship.